0: Maybe seated. So, Ardell and I really don't own many priceless objects, but one of them hangs on a magnetic strip right by the stove. It's a fine old chef's knife that's seen so much use, the rivets protrude from the worn wooden handle by at least an eighth of an inch. It may have been used to prepare Bonnie and Clyde's last meal by Ardell's grandfather at his cafe in Bastrop, Louisiana. But that's another story for another day. The reason I love it is because Ardell's mother, Cora, gave it to me. She may have given me this knife because I've been dropping hints for years by admiring it out loud every time I pulled it from the drawer in her kitchen where it lived with a bunch of flimsy steak knives and potato peelers but what she said was I ought to go ahead and take it because Ardell's sister Dorcas might get her hands on it someday and wouldn't know any better than to run it through the dishwasher. <laughs> now you should know that Cora would have said this even if Dorcas had been standing right there with us. But a moment later she would have realized Dorcas's feelings could have been hurt by the statement and would have blurted out a long and heartfelt apology before determining whether her feelings actually had been hurt it's not quite right to say Cora was an unreflected, unreflective person. It's just that she put whatever she felt right there out into the world immediately and reflected on it afterwards. <laughs> well, Ardell and I were in the Double Wells Assembly of God Church a few miles outside Pine Bluff to bury Cora Pote a year ago today, and hers was the most fully unveiled face I think I've ever seen. Ardell's family and mine were pretty different. I'm the oldest of two. Ardell is Cora's 13th child of 14 by birth and two more by adoption. This means our son Alden could be my parents' very first grandchild and the 47th for Cora and Henry, who were far from through at that point. But Cora could put her over full quiver, as it were, to good use. Back in the 1960s, upon realizing that an African-American family was not going to be served communion at their church one Sunday, Cora didn't ruminate about what she might do. She stood up mid-service and announced that Jesus' blood was shed for each and every person and she would not be part of a congregation that refused to include any of his children. Then she gathered up the considerable train of her family and marched them out the doors of the church. (laughs) Now, if some of the details of this story are disputed by some members of the family that Cora was capable of making such a scene is not. After all, this was the woman who thought it really unfair that boys were allowed to take off their shirts in the sweltering Arkansas heat, but the girls were not. She told her children this as they were working in the garden one day, and when the boys continued to ignore her, for her plea for fairness, she said, all right then, and removed her own shirt. <laughs> Which made her point quite effectively, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> Unveiled. That's what Cora Coates' K- K- Christian faith was. Unveiled. Startlingly so at times. Well, I got to thinking about Cora this week, not only because of the anniversary of her burial, but because I kept getting tripped up by that reading from 2 Corinthians. Did anybody else notice it? I know we're not supposed to look over at the epistle when we've got Moses on Sinai and Jesus with the three great prophets at the Transfiguration, but did anybody notice what St. Paul just said? He said, you know, we need to be bold, people. Not like that sheepish old Moses guy who put a veil over his face after he talked to God. We're going to let our unveiled faces shine with the glory of God no matter who it blinds. Moses, y'all. St. Paul is throwing Moses under the ark, I guess. (laughs) And not Moses on just any old day in the life of this greatest of all the prophets, right? Moses, on the day he brings those two stone tablets written by the finger of God back from the face-to-face conversation he's had with God and somehow survived. Paul says, what was he thinking? Putting a towel on his head when it's all shining with glory. Whatever you do, don't live like that guy. I know Cora liked St. Paul. She probably could have quoted to you half of everything he wrote. But this was the first time it occurred to me that Paul might have really gotten a kick out of Cora, too. She was sure with him on the complete unveiling of our lives thing. The Pentecostal faith of my in-laws was very strange to me. But I don't believe there's a perfect expression of Christianity. (coughs) Nor do I believe there's any expression of the faith without some kernel of genius. And I think the genius of the charismatic churches lies in this sense that there is a great spiritual power in letting go of our inhibitions. The notion that if we could become utterly unveiled to one another, we could come, become utterly transparent to God and that we could be beautifully changed in a process like that. I still believe there's something true in all this even if I did go off and join the Episcopal Church, where the only thing more dear to us than our orderly processions and polished silver are our inhibitions. I mean, we are the ones who charge those early Methodists with the unforgivable sin of enthusiasm, right? Worst thing we could think to call them. But there's a great Anglican thinker who likes this passage from 2 Corinthians as well. Rowan Williams preached about it, at the wedding of his friend, a theologian named John Milbank. And he described a marriage as as a lifelong process in which two people unveil themselves to each other. A process of letting more and more of the truth about themselves be known by the other. A way of looking at each other more and more truthfully over time. He was speaking at a wedding, but he made clear that this is what God intends for all our relationships to some extent and this unveiling of ourselves requires two things he said it requires truth and it requires love both are absolutely necessary he says there can be no truth there can be no love without truth without clear vision love is a business of projection and fantasy and there can be no truth without love without trust and tenderness and courtesy The truth will vanish behind the walls of fear and pain. This is a word for us in our time, isn't it? If Paul overdid it a little in his takedown of Moses in search of a decent metaphor, he was on to something we do still need to hear. We can't scream the truth as we see it at each other and expect anything true to emerge from our lives. We'll keep it all covered up in defensiveness and fear. But love is what makes the space for truth, always. Love, which includes this readiness to forgive, is what gives me the space to unveil the truth about myself to you. If I think I'll be judged and rejected, the veil's staying on. But if I think this is a place of love, I might let it slip a little and see what happens. And what Paul says is that we get to see more than just one another when we let our veils fall. He says, your faces, your face and my face and the face of any other human being who's willing to let the veil come off. These are mirrors for the glory of God, a glory that can change us into its likeness if we'll let ourselves be exposed to it in each other. So I wonder who are the Korah and the St. Paul's in your life today? The people who will call the bluff of the conventions and inhibitions that keep us from the truth about ourselves and the world. People who will call out anyone, even Moses. if That's what it takes to name the veils the world gives us to walk around underneath. <coughs> Friends like these will challenge us and they will infuriate us at times. This was true both of St. Paul and my dear mother-in-law for me. But they can also call us to a better way, a truer way. But if we think our spiritual work is to will ourselves, all by ourselves, to be a little bit more like them, even to be someone more honest, transparent, and true, we're probably just exchanging one veil of personality for another. It takes truth and love in community to be transformed. Truth and love, only that, but all of that, and always with one another because when truth and love make it safe enough here at Calvary for the veils to drop, the place where I'll then see a reflection of God's face will be yours. Amen. Amen.